You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website, thisisbaptistchurch.com. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, it is, it's so difficult, God, to imagine um, a God who has fought the tough battles, Lord, who has fought for our soul by, by sacrificing himself, God, so that we could have life. But Lord, we're so thankful, God, that the power that you use, God, to to resurrect your son, Jesus, is the same power that lives within us, Lord. And Lord, we're so thankful, God, that it's not because of we ourselves, God, that we have this opportunity, God, to, to learn more about you and to worship and praise you, God. It's because you gave of yourself, Lord. Lord, help us, God, to remember, God, that the power we have to change, God, is in us. You've given it to us. You set the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds, God, to, to teach us right from wrong and to help us worship you in spirit and in truth. God, help us to tap into that, Lord, as we, as we, as we continue our worship by listening to your word. Lord, I pray, God, that you would cleanse me as a messenger. God, that, you would, that you've already been working to cleanse the hearts and to open the hearts of those who are here, Lord. Let us be mindful, be mindful, God, of the fact that although you fought the battle and you have won and you ultimately have the ultimate victory, Lord, there is still a day-by-day process called sanctification, Lord, which you are taking us through, helping us to see, God, all the layers that need to be peeled back so that we can become more like your son, Jesus. And God, let this message be a part of that, Lord, as we become more like your son in Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you would, um, grab your Bibles. I know um, Children's Church, um, children, if you would, line up towards the door towards my right. Um, you have a special lesson prepared just for you. Um, as a word of note to our, to our parents, today's Children's Church lesson will be about um, Ezra reading the law. Um, the, um, Nehemiah has already built the, rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem, and now they're going to have a celebration by reading the word of God. Amen? And so that'll be what your kids talk about today, so feel free to engage that lesson by asking your kids about what they learned. Our hope is that they just not remember what they've heard, but also apply what they've learned um, throughout this day until the day, until the day they go home to glory. Amen? Amen. And with that being said, um, for, all of you, for those of you who remain, if you would, turn to the book of Exodus. Um, Exodus chapter 32. Um, we are going to continue our message from last week about when leaders doubt. Um, in Exodus 32, um, let me know when you have it. If you have it, say amen. 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 Um, by way of, a, um, well, as many of you guys are probably familiar, is that uh, me and Brother Jeff have been going through a series essentially based on doubt. And we've looked at doubt from um, a variety of different ways. And so my job today, or my job from last week until this week, is to kind of help you see what happens when leaders doubt when leaders doubt the faith, when leaders fail to adhere to the faith that we are, I mean, that we're supposed to be leading in. Amen? Amen. And so, as a by way of, um, I mean, as by way of explanation, um, to cut down on what we're going to read in this very moment, let me give you a little bit of a um, background. For those of you who were here last week, you remember me talking, um, we, we came from the beginning of Exodus chapter 32. We started from verse 1 and we worked our way down to 28. Now, in the very beginning of the story, we're going to, in fact, go ahead and put your finger on verse 19. That is where we're going to start reading, but let me give you the background before we start reading. Now, many of you are familiar with, with the story of Exodus. In the, story, in the book of Exodus, the people, of, um, the people who were trapped, who were um, enslaved in um, Egypt, the Israelites, are now making their way to the promised land. 
Well, on their way to the promised land, God is now trying to take them out of a mentality of slavery and move them to a place where they can inherit, where they inherit the blessing and the favor of God through the promised land. Now, the journey was not easy, and they went through a lot of ups and downs. And one of those ups and downs happens in, I mean, one of those downs happens in Exodus chapter 32. As we, as we begin Exodus chapter 32, you see that Moses, the leader of the people who God has chosen, has gone up to the mountaintop to go and talk to God about the rule, to, to understand the standards and the rules that the people, the Israelites, need to follow as they inherit the land. Well, as, well, as Moses is gone, he leaves his, his brother, his big brother Aaron, the high priest, in charge of the people. So if there are any disputes among the people, Aaron is the person who becomes the judge and begins to have to settle all the disputes amongst the people. Now, as they leave, and Moses, and just for context, Moses has been gone for approximately 40 days. Now, in fact, it's not approximate, it's definite. The story says he was there for 40 days. And so as he's gone for 40 days in the mountain, Moses is essentially MIA. The people are down. The, the people are on the at the base of the mountain, waiting on Moses to come back with, with God's word. Um, Aaron and the leaders are somewhere in the middle toward I mean of this story, and in the middle of the mountain, waiting on Moses to come back down so they can go address the people. And the people become impatient, and so the people become so impatient that they go to Aaron, Moses' big brother, and they say, "Hey, listen, we don't know what happened to Aaron. We don't. We can't. We can't figure out what happened to Aaron. We need you." He, they said, "Come." You make us a God to set before us. Now, the story doesn't necessarily tell us if he did it at the beginning or the end, but I would have to imagine that after some, after some, co, after some um, coercing and stuff, um, Aaron eventually decides that he takes all the jury, all, the gold jury off the people of Israel, and then he takes his calf and he melts down this jury, and then he makes a golden calf. Well, the people take the golden calf and they begin worshiping the golden calf. Meanwhile, back on the mountain, Moses is talking to God, and they realize that something strange is going on down the bottom of the mountain. Well, it is funny, and if you go back and read it, and I want you to go back and read it, but I want you to know this one part, and I think it was just kind of funny, that um, when God addresses Moses, when they say, what's going on down the mountain, God tells Moses, hey, your people are down there acting up, <laughs> okay? He said, no, those are not my people. Those are your people out there acting up. And so when we pick up this story at verse 19, God, Moses is hot. Moses got two tablets in hand back in front with the law of God. And he comes back down, the, comes back down the mountain and he hears this ruckus going on. And let's just see, let's just pick up from there and see what happens. It says that when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf, saw the calf, the golden calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, break them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And then he took the calf and he made, that, that the people had made, and he burned it in fire, and he ground it into powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. And he said, Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such a great sin? And then Aaron responds, don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how, you know how prone these people are to, to evil. And they said to me, let us, I mean, make us gods that will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who is brought up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold, take it off. And then, and they gave it to me, and threw, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. And Moses saw that the people were running wild. 
and Aaron had let them get out of control and so become laughingstocks to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And then he, he said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth throughout the camp from one end to the other, killing his brother and his friend and his neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And at that day, about 3,000 people died. And then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today. And for you, you were against the son, your sons and brothers, and he has blessed you from this day. Amen. Amen. Um, let's pray. Dear Lord, God, as we search to your scripture, as we figure out what you have to say to us, Lord, let us be mindful of your word. Let us be careful to, to open our hearts, to be um, open to what you have to say. And, bless, and God, for me, God, let me speak boldly, God, but with clarity. In Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, um... So by, by way of proxy, I want to make sure that um, people understand. Um, so this message um, that we started last week, again, is entitled, When Leaders Doubt. And so I think it's very important to understand that, you know, even in the context of like a team sport, like let's say football, um, it's one thing when one player decides to give up and quit on a team. It affects one position. But it's a whole other thing when the coach and the leadership of a team gives up on a team because it causes chaos and dysfunction for the whole team. By way of example, if many of you who watch football, many of you may be familiar with the Miami Dolphins, um, this season, as of right now, they are 0-7. Zero wins, seven losses. Now, I would like to think, we would all like to think that they've played hard, and I think they have tried to play hard in many of their games, but the reality of it is this. All throughout the season, they had expectations that they would be losing, not only that, um, the team early on in its um, the team early on in the offseason traded away some of his best some of his best players in lieu of the idea that they would be a terrible team. And not only that, there are whispers which they have not confirmed that even the general manager and president of the team is is um, actually purposely trying to tank the team so that they can find better players. Well, the problem with that is this. There are men out there who really want to win games and they really want to try to succeed as best they can. But when ownership and leadership and a coach say that, listen, I know we're not going to be good and we're not going to be victorious, it sets the wrong precedent for a team. When you say so? Well, throughout the course of this season, in the past seven games, um, several players have asked to be traded away to go to better situations where they could be in a more confident winning place. And those people are now thriving. Meanwhile, the team, even in its best day, is still 0-7. Again, I say to you, when it's one thing when a player quits a position, it affects the productivity of a position. But when leadership quits or doubts, the winning, I mean, the, the, the fact that they could win, it sets a whole different other precedent for a team. Um, as we've already read the story and have already kind of been through point one, I want to recap. Um, Moses, once again, up the mountain, been there for 40 days, and the people are down the mountain waiting for Moses to come back up. Well, one of the first things we talked about, the fact that um, when a leader starts lacking trust and discipline, it affects everybody else consequentially. And that is what happens in this case to Aaron and the rest of the nation of Israel. As we, read in verse, as we read in verses 1 through 4, we see that the people have come and they have, asked for, they have asked for Aaron to make them gods to set before them. 
and with them making gospel for them, it shows something about their character. And, it tell, and, as we, and as we look at this story, what I want us to grasp more than anything is I want us to see the components of doubt. I want us to see how a leader can go from someone who could be confident, ready to serve, ready to lead, to being someone who doubts and consequently hurts everybody else in the process. If you remember my point from last, from last week, my very first point here was a lack of restraint. A lack of restraint. Now, to better really illustrate this point, I want you to take your finger and I want you to jump over really quickly to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 106. We're going to return back to Exodus in just a moment, but I want to just recap um, point one before we, before we blaze forward, okay? Once again, Psalm chapter 106. All right, when you have it, say amen. Now, Psalms 106 is something that Brother Jeff used in his last sermon, and it, and it kind of gives us a roundabout idea of how the um, nation of Israel had fallen short of God's glory in the, I mean, in the midst of their struggle. In fact, when we, we're going to jump down um, to verse 19, and here's what it says in verse 19 regarding their making of a golden calf, um, in the, the making of the golden calf. It says this. It says, at Horeb, they, they made a calf, and they worshipped an idol and cast, I mean, cast from metal. And they exchanged their, glory, their glorious God for an image of a bull, which eats grass. And they forgot God who saved them, who had, done these, who had done mighty and great things in Egypt. And the miracles in the land of Ham and the awesome deeds by the Red Sea. You see, one of the first things we realize is that the nation of Israel is, is having, a tr- having trouble restraining themselves. I mean, if you go, when you flip back over to Exodus 32, it kind of feels like that dad has left from home to go to work and he tells all the kids to be good. And as soon as he goes to the door, they say, are they gone yet? Are they gone? Is he gone yet? Is he gone yet? Great. Break out the idols. Break out all the fun stuff. Let's, let's go and do it, right? And that's essentially what happens. It's like when Moses is around, the people are complaining, but they're trying to be on their best behavior because they know that Moses has favor with God. And then Moses goes on basically a 40-day a experience in God conference, and they decide, you know what? We don't know where this guy is. We don't know what we're going to do. But listen, we need a God we can follow. Now, to, get, to make sure you're understanding what I'm saying here, remember, when they left Egypt, all they had was what God had given them. Does everybody follow me? And here's the reality. They had never really had the chance as a group to experience faith. And now they are walking in the wilderness, trying to get to a place that God had told them about. And now, for the, one of the first times in their life, they're having to exercise blind faith. God was with them. God was walking with them through the, through the wilderness. He was, a, he was a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. He was raining down manna. And yet now, Moses and God are up the mountain, and everybody else is wondering, where is Moses? Now, I'll be honest. I mean, if somebody goes to the mountain for 40 days, I would wonder if something happened to him as well. But now the problem is this. As Moses and God were up the mountain discussing the law, the people were at the base of the mountain, and they were getting into idleness. They begin to be idle-minded people. And not only that, not only that, they got to the point where they got so impatient, so they got so antsy that they went to Aaron and they said, Aaron, make us a God. Now, you got to understand that this is that in them asking for another God, what they were doing, um, according to Psalm 106, is that they were making an exchange. 
what they were doing is they were bartering God. Does everybody follow me? They were trading God. It says in, in Psalm 106, it says basically that they had, um, let me see, I'll make sure, make sure I'm reading it correctly. It says that they made a calf, right, and they changed that glory. Um, they exchanged the glorious God for the image of an ox that eats grass. So what they were doing is taking something, they were switching um, something that was of a temporary purpose for the eternal. Is everybody with me? God their eternal, the eternal one who was covering them, keeping them safe, blessing them in all sorts of ways, at the moment that he's literally not there, with, although he is always there, amen, um, at the moment he, they don't see his presence, so to speak, they break out and they begin to turn their focus to something that's more temporary. What do you think it means to barter and trade God? It's, extra, it's exchanging eternal for temporal. And here's the problem. Sometimes it doesn't even matter how temporary it is. You see, there's something in us. There's a lust in us. There's a part of us that simply wants what we want, and we want it right now. And sometimes we don't care what we have to give up to get it. Now, never mind that they have the God that part the Red Sea and put manna from the sky and did all these different things that, that blessed them and showed them that he was powerful and that he could provide all they needed. At this moment, they wanted to see their gods. And so they exchanged what was eternal for what was temporal. And a lot of times we do that. Sometimes we trade what is, what is most important for the things that are not important. Sometimes we trade relationships with people who wrong us in sin for, for doing what God has called us to do. Sometimes we, we gripe and complain about something that we, we, gripe, we gripe and complain about things we do not have instead of being thankful for the things that God has already given us. We find ourselves in a situation where we don't see the blessings of God because we're so focused on one thing. In fact, um, just to be, and, you know, I'll keep going. Don't worry about that. If, if, if I can't remember, it's not important. Anyway, so, but that's the point. They exchanged the eternal for the temporal. They exchanged the the, what was powerful and mighty for the mundane. They exchanged what was great for what was small. And that is something that will get us in trouble. Whenever we find ourselves hawking over and trading our God in for something temporary, it says a lot about who we are what our desires are, and what, we, and what we really want, right? You see, because the reality of it is this. The people of Israel, they wanted an ATM. They wanted an ATM. They wanted to be able to withdraw the blessings of God anytime they want. It didn't matter who it came from. If you go and look, go back to the Exodus chapter 32. Look at verse 1. As you read verse 1, you see them saying, hey, Aaron, make us a god. Because we don't know what happened to Moses. So it was the idea that, hey, listen, hey, we don't know where Moses is and we don't care. Just bring us a God so that we can see, so, we, so that we can be satisfied, right? There are a lot of times where we trade that temporary thing for eternal satisfaction. And when we do that, we become short-sighted. And so with that being said, we need to understand that when we trade off when we trade off with God, the moment that we decide that we're going to trade off with God is the moment that we should stand firm. There are times where you have a desire to trade what, what is temporary for what is eternal. 
And those are the moments. That is the moment where God is calling us to use our faith to stand, and stand firm and stay strong. For us to be able to overcome doubt, we have to have faith, and we, we have to have faith, and we have to have restraint. The second point. The second point comes here. After, um, not, only do we, not only do we find ourselves in a place where we lack restraint, but doubt also can creep into our head as we experience what I like to call golden calf pressure. Now, golden calf pressure, I think, is something that is very, it's not very unique. I think we all get a chance to experience golden calf pressure in our life. If you don't believe me, let's look at the story. If you, as you go back to Exodus chapter 32, look at verse 1 again. It says, the people saw Moses, I mean, saw that Moses was coming, I mean, was taking so long coming down from the mountainside. They gathered around Aaron. So you see, first of all, Aaron is their leader, right? Aaron had been their leader for 40 days. And now people are getting antsy, and guess what they're starting to do? They're starting to gather around Aaron. All right, that's pressure. Next, they say, come and make us gods who will go before us, right? And they said, for this fellow Moses um, brought us up out of Egypt, and we don't know what has happened to him. Not only are they a crowd of people, but they're an upset crowd of people who are criticizing the leader Moses. And not only that, not only are they a, not only are they a crowd, and not only are there critics, but there's also becoming a compromise. As you look in verse four, it says, I mean, in verse two, it says, and Aaron answered them, take off your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. And so the people took off all their earrings, brought them all to Aaron, and he took what they, what they handed him and made them into an idol cast in the shape, um, in the, in the um, shape of a calf, fashioning them with a tool. And then he said, these are your gods, Israel, who you brought out of Egypt. So once again, my second point here is that another part, that another component of leaders doubting is not just a lack of restraint, but also golden calf pressure. You see, because when you're put in a situation, when you're put in a situation where people are, ant are um, egging you on, where people want results, people want you to do something now, you experience pressure, don't you? There are times when people come to you and they may actually do something, but in reality, they want it now, right? In fact, the culture does that to us sometimes. The culture puts us in a situation where they want, they put pressure on us, the world puts pressure on us to do something and do it their way. And that is what Aaron's experiencing. And listen, let's be honest, all of us have been there. We get put in some situations where people try to pressure us to do whether, whether it's right or wrong. People put us in a lot of pressure. And here's the reality. When you experience golden calf pressure, there's three C's to golden calf pressure. You heard me mention them earlier. First, there's the crowd. There was a crowd of people that wanted something to happen. Number two, they're critics. Notice that in verse one, when they, when they mention Moses, when, first, when they say, make me a God, you know what they say about Moses? They say, oh yeah, and this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt. Now, hard to read there. It sounds like they're just kind of being, they're just kind of saying, well, this person, right? But what they're really doing, if you read in Hebrew, is they're saying, oh yeah, and that worthless guy who led us out of Egypt. Is everybody following me? So now the same person that they were like, where's Moses? Where's Moses? Help us get out. Now they're like, we don't care. We don't care that worthless guy. Listen, it doesn't matter. Can you make us an idol? Because if you can, we'll follow you, right? So there's the crowd, there's critics, 
and then it leads to compromise. Now, when you read the story, when you read Exodus chapter 32, one of the things that should stick out to you, or one of the things that at least stuck out to me, was this. How do slaves get gold? How do slaves get gold, right? Well, let me help you out with that, okay? In Exodus chapter 11, um, if you're familiar with the story of Exodus, and you're familiar with the story of Moses and the ten plagues, Moses, you know, goes to Egypt on behalf of God with the help of Aaron, his mouthpiece, and he says, listen, Pharaoh, let my people go, right? Well, Pharaoh's hard-headed. He decides, you know what, I'm not going to let him go. And so there become these plagues increasing one after another after another. Well, here's the thing. Before that happened, God had already told the people, God through Moses had already told Israel, listen, Israel, you know what's going to happen? These people are going to cave in, and you're, you're, I mean, and once they fold, you are going to be blessed by it. In fact, you're going to get the plunder. In fact, listen, you've been working as slaves for 400 years, and you're about to get your paycheck finally, right? You're about to get your blessing right here. You're about to, you're about to experience the favor of God right here. And so the, the plays came so hard that by the end of it, the Israelites, because God told them, listen, listen, I want you to just go to your neighbor and ask them for their jewelry. Now, listen, you know how irritated you got to be by somebody by, by the plagues or by somebody to just say, here, you know what, take it and get out of my face. Do you get that? Like the plagues came so hard and they devastated them so much, the Israelites just showed them and like, uh, can I have your jewelry? Sure, whatever, just take this, I don't care. Here, take my wife, do whatever, just get out of here. I don't want you here anymore. So when they leave Egypt, they're leaving Egypt with gold chains. I'm just, well, I'm, okay, I'm paraphrasing there. Don't, they didn't have gold chains, okay? They had grills too. I'm just joking. No, that's a joke as well. But they leave with wealth, right? And so when, they, when they're walking in the wilderness, you know, it looks weird. These slaves who've been enslaved now have gold jewelry. Well, now they arrive to a place where Aaron is like, listen, you want a God? Okay, I'll give you a God. And he says, listen, well, if, if you want the God... You gotta give me, you gotta give me your jewelry, right? Isn't it? And the reason why I'm bringing this up is this. Isn't it funny that after they finally experienced the blessing and favor of God, and they finally got, and they I mean they finally saw something tangible, so to speak, from God, they traded in all of their wealth for a false God. Did y'all catch that? All the gold that they had, they all took it off. And they all got it melted down so that they could worship a false god. Sometimes we end up doing that. We find ourselves in a place where we start investing in things that don't have the right, that don't have eternal worth. And essentially the very blessings, the very resources that God give us, we waste them. We waste them by investing into, investing into things that do not matter. And that is what happened with them. And not only that, not only did they invest in something that was worthless, but here's the thing. Aaron is trying to be a nice guy. You see, Aaron has all, remember, think about this. Can you imagine that day by day, right? Aaron, I mean, Moses up the mountain. Aaron's sitting there. He's trying to solve all the disputes. And people come up to him, hey, is Moses back? No. Well, I'm kind of getting worried. Uh, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Until day after day after day, they come back and forth, asking about Moses, asking about Moses. And to the point where they go, listen, I don't understand why we're waiting on Moses. We just need to go ahead and find and make us a God. Do you understand how irritated Aaron has to be to say, you know what? 
forget it. You know what? Give me all your gold. And here, throw it in the fire. Here, here's your God. Right? And then on top of that, look at verse 4 in, 30, in verse 32. I mean, chapter I mean, 32. Then it says, and he took what, what they handed him, and he made an idol in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool, and they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And verse 5 says this, and Aaron saw this, and he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there'll be a festival to who? To the Lord. Wait a minute. So the people take the wealth that they had, they melt it down. Now keep in mind too that this calf was more than likely wood and they took a wood calf and then found a way to cover it somehow in gold somehow. All right, but now they, what he essentially does is he takes their idol and he tries to marry it with God and his worship. Did you catch that? He says, listen, and here's the thing. Aaron was trying to be a nice guy. He was like, listen, I just want to make sure that y'all are happy, right? But there's a problem there. Sometimes we need to be concerned more so about a person's holiness than their happiness. And so what Moses, I mean, what Aaron does here is he tries to take idol worship and he tries to marry it with the worship of God by having a festival to the Lord. Aaron compromised because he came under pressure from the crowd and the critics. And if we're not careful, that can happen to us. You see, the reality of it is this. We, we find ourselves in a place where maybe, just maybe, we're under a lot of pressure. And when you're under a lot of pressure, there's only one thing you really want to do. You want to fix it to relieve some of that pressure, right? You find yourself in a place where you just want the pain to stop. And that's what happened to Aaron. He got so irritated to the point, he's like, listen, you want a God? Here, here's your God. And then on top of that, just to try to make it like, to make it look like it was all good, he said, listen, and we're going to use this God to have a festival to our God. He compromised because he came under pressure. We all come under pressure, which leads me to my next thought here. Pressure when it, in leadership never, ever goes away. Let me say that again. Pressure in leadership never, ever goes away. You see, we all find ourselves in a place where when we're pushed to the when we're pushed and we're and we're prodded and we're poked, we want to relieve that pressure, but we can't. In fact, we have to find a way to live in the tension of moments. Now, the question becomes, how do we do that? Well, before I say that, let me let me let me clarify one more other point. Aaron is at a point where he's just trying to fix it, and in his fixing it, it got worse. Um, it reminds me of a, of a very popular TV show that was around the 90s. I mean, is anybody familiar with um, the TV show Home Improvement? Um, Tim Allen, Tim, well, Tim, the tool man Taylor. So one of the prefaces of the show, well, which was actually kind of ironic that, you know, he was the host of a cable tool show, but he was never really good at fixing things, right? And so one of the premises of the show is that there will always usually be some type of household thing he was trying to fix, and maybe his wife or his kids would be like, oh, no, man, this is broken. We need to fix it. And he'll say, I'll fix it, but then I'll soup it up so it's supercharged. Well, every time he tried to fix it, he'd end up breaking it more and more. 
And so in his trying to be helpful and his trying to fix it, things would get worse. But Aaron was there, and Aaron was trying to hold on to God's standard. He was trying to do the best thing he could, but he was succumbing to the pressure of the crowd and the critics. And by that, I mean, and along with that came a compromise. But once again, when we experience pressure, we have to recognize that pressure never, ever really goes away. We have to learn how to handle the pressure. And here's how you handle the pressure. Number one, as pressure comes onto you, you have to learn not to let it not, a, not to let it change your personality. You know, a lot of times we find ourselves in a place where when we get under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, it changes how we act, it changes who we are. Maybe we don't maybe we don't eat a lot and now we start eating more. Maybe we decide we decide when we're, we're so we're shutting down some, but we start watching more TV. Maybe we decide that, you know, when we're a lot more pleasant, now we become a lot more unpleasant. Well, the reality of it is, is that we need to be as people that when pressure comes, we learn how to adapt to it. And to adapt to it means that we need to have regimen and regular parts of our life that don't change just because pressure is in our life. So that means that, listen, if you're, if you're, if you're eating, look, continue to eat the way you've been eating, right? Unless that's unhealthy, then don't. But um, if you, listen, if you don't have, if you don't have, if you have a daily regimen, whether you walk or read or do things to de-stress, keep doing those things. Because one of the best things that we, as we, um, as people, as we, as we as people live, we, we want to know and experience or see is that leaders can handle pressure with poise. So when you don't change your personality, people can see that you're able to handle pressure. Also, once again, learn to live in the, pre in the learn to live in tension. Sometimes everybody's not going to always be happy with the decisions that you have to make. Let me say that again. Not everybody's going to be happy with the decisions that you make. Maybe you're a mother or a father having to make a decision for a child. Everybody's not going to always be happy. But what you try to do is you try to live in a tension, understanding that, listen, this tension may be in my life for the good and glory of God. In fact, God uses tension to push us closer to him because the more, te the more tension we have in our life, it should make us get closer and cling to God. And not only that, not only do we need to learn how to adjust with our personality to pressure and do we need to learn how to live in tension, but we have to stay on vision. Stay focused on what we're supposed to be doing. A lot of times when we get caught under pressure, we find ourselves drifting off and just doing anything just because it takes our mind off of whatever is ailing us. But the reality of it is we need to stay, we need to recognize the tension that comes in the pressure that we're under and we need to stay focused on why is this tension there? What is the end goal? If the end goal is holiness, keep, my, keep your mind focused on the idea that holiness is the goal. If the goal is to, is, to, is to have the discipline so that we can, like, for instance, even in spending something, right? If your intention in, in trying to, not to spend money is that one day we can live. In fact, I'm about to sound like Dave Ramsey when I say this. You live like no one else, so one day you can live like no one else. That's what you must do. But it requires you to stay focused on the goal at hand. When tension comes into your life, when pressure comes into your life, you have to learn how to adjust. In fact, I want to say that again for my youth group. You know, one day you're going to graduate, and you're going to be excited that you're graduating, and you're going to think to yourself that, man, I am so glad I don't have to live under my mom and dad. Well, let me tell you about the other side of that, of that, of that life. Once you become grown, you have constant pressure. Okay? 
You see, because when you were living in your mom's roof, the bills just kind of got paid somehow, right? You kind of just had money to do stuff. Now, you don't know the sacrifice sometimes that they went through to get that stuff and to make it happen, but all you know was there. It becomes a whole different other animal when, listen, you could lose your job and not have a place to be. <laughs> it becomes real when other people are starting to depend on you for their needs and for their sustenance. It becomes a whole another ball game when people, although people would understand excuses, they don't accept excuses. You have to learn how to live in tension now because for the rest of your life, it's tension filled and pressure, it becomes a pressure cooker. Just thought I'd like to tell y'all that. Good luck, guys. Um, but um, anyway, so, but with that being said, I want you to understand this, is that as pressure, God, as golden calf pressure comes into your life, not learning how to pressure, not learning how to handle pressure is fertile ground for doubt. Restraint, lack of restraint is fertile ground for doubt, and so is pressure. And if you don't learn how to handle it, it will handle you. And the last thing I want to get to here is this, spiritual compromise, spiritual compromise. Earlier we read verses 19, 19 through 29. And remember, Moses is coming down the, Moses coming down the mountain, and Moses is hot because the people who God had just plucked out of Egypt and done all these great things for, they go, he, Moses goes down the mountain, and they've made a golden calf, and they're having an orgy, Okay. And, and, and it says that, like, Moses was carrying the tablets in his hand, literally the law, and he literally, and he literally gets so mad that he throws the law down and he breaks the law. Get it? Breaks the law? I thought you would appreciate that ledge. Sorry. Um, but anyway, so, but he literally breaks the law. Now, he didn't do that simply because he was angry. It was a symbolism of what the people had done, I mean, what the people had done to God. God had given them commandments. In fact, before Moses went up the mountain in, in chapter 24, they had already made a vow that, Lord, we will follow you wherever you go. We will do whatever you tell us to do. We accept who you are, and we, and we want to follow you to the ends of the earth. We will be your people if you will be our God. And literally, he goes up the mountain, and within days, they break out into chaos, right? Well, here's what happens. So, so then that happens, right? Well, it gets so bad that Aaron is put in a position where he's just, listen, here, have your God. Have you ever been in a place, in a situation, where you've been so frustrated that you simply just put your hands up and say, you know what? Forget it. It doesn't matter. Like, maybe you're like me. You know, for me, sometimes when I try to put my kids to bed, it's like negotiating with terrorists, okay? It's just like, I want you to go to bed. Okay, uh, hey, go to bed. No, uh, uh, Let's go, go to bed. And then finally, it just gets so frustrated. I'm like, you know what? All right, just whatever. Just stay up. I don't care. Whatever. I don't care. Just, just fall asleep wherever you are, right? It gets to the point sometimes where you get so frustrated that you want to throw your hands up. And that's exactly where Aaron was. And so when he comes back, and so as he, as he decides that he's going to fix this thing himself, which we talked about in the last point, we see that he comes to a point where he decides that he is just going to do what he wants to do. Aaron's going to decide, listen, I'm going to fix this pressure. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make it happen my way as long as these people get out of my face and stop bothering me. But in the midst of doing what he does, he ends up compromising. You see, as he is, um, as he is, 
as he um, comes down the mountain, Moses now, he has explained himself to Moses. Everybody look at verse 21. Moses, I mean, Aaron, I mean, Moses says to Aaron, he says, what did these people do to you that has led them into such great sin? And Aaron has by far the most apathetic response ever. He says, listen, hey, 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 don't be angry. Don't be angry, right? And then he says, you know how prone these people are to evil. Now, now keep in mind that Aaron's the one who's firing up the kiln so he can make the golden calf, right? And then when Moses comes down, he says, what in the world happened? He says, now, man, now you know how those people be acting. Now you know. Listen, I was just helping them out because you know what it's like. You know what they be doing, right? That's exactly what was his answer. And not only that, he says, and, and so then it gets even better, right? He says, so then he starts snitching on them. He, he starts telling everything that they are doing, right? He says, they came to me and said, make us God, you know, make us, make us gods who will go before us. And they talk, and look, he even throws a little bit in there just so they know that he shaded Moses, right? He's like, as for this fellow Moses, um, you know, who was brought out, we don't know what happened to him. Verse 24, so I told them, whoever has any gold, take it off. And then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Now, notice that he wasn't saying, he didn't say, you know, I put the gold, you know, I put this gold in the fire and then I melted it and then I sat and I cracked the, the golden calf and made sure it was nice and pretty. He said, oh yeah, I threw the gold in the fire. Look, a calf just came out as if it was like a miracle, right? So what we notice from here is that Aaron falls into the trap of, of, of spiritual compromise. He falls into the trap of spiritual compromise. Here's why we know this, and here's some points that you can glean from his compromise. We know that spiritual compromise happens because leadership um, seeks to please people rather than please God. His sole reason for making the calf was to make the people happy. The only problem was he was also trying to find a way to marry it to the worship of God, and God wasn't going to have that. Number two, spiritual compromise Spiritual compromise also happens when you excuse your sin and don't accept your responsibility for it. You never quite really hear Aaron say, oh, yeah, and I got, they, got, you know, they, they got through this, and I made the calf, and I'm sorry. He says, they were under God. I got the gold. I threw it in the fire. A calf came out. You know, that's, a, you know, that's just a normal day, right? So he never takes responsibility for his sin. And I think that's something we need to really stick, I want to really stick a pin in. The fact that spiritual compromise is not just somebody fooled you. Sometimes spiritual compromise is the fact that you have sin in your life that you have decided to excuse and you refuse to take responsibility for. You know, one of the signs of immaturity in a Christian is when, is when sin falls upon them and they don't want to take ownership for it. They'll go, well, so-and-so preached this, or I wouldn't have done it if that hadn't happened, or if this was better, I would do this. Well, when we sin, one of the things that God teaches us through his word is that we need to fess up for our sin, right? It tells us, right, 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, right, that means if you do it, not if just somebody else does it on your behalf, or it didn't say if you make enough excuses, then God will forgive your sin. It says, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
We have to learn how to fess up and own up to our sin and take responsibility for it. Don't just say, I did it, but you know what? I realized what I've done, and I realized it was wrong. One of the things that you never see throughout chapter 32 is Aaron saying, you know what? Before y'all went up the mountain, you made the two first commandments. You said, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not make any graven images, right? And yet, he never even recognizes that. He just says, listen, hey, you know how those people are? They gave me gold, I made a calf, and here it is, right? But now, the, and, but that's the reality of where we are. Spiritual compromise happens because you refuse to totally submit to God's will and God's way. You see, because Aaron and the people were stuck in this, in this idea of, man, I can't see my God, they fell into sin, and Aaron helped them to come into deeper sin. And, I'll make a, I'll, and I want to make a clear distinction here. I don't want to railroad Aaron here. I don't want to just simply make like, it's Aaron's fault, because the reality is, because the people were, because the people were astray, they begin to affect their leader. Now, don't get me wrong, he should have stood firm. He should have said, listen, don't forget the first two commandments. But yet we don't see any sign that he did. We were gonna, I would assume that Aaron just didn't wake up and they said, hey, we want to make false gods. He said, okay, just give me gold, right? I would assume that over time he wore down. He looked at his circumstances. He saw the pressure on his back because he couldn't just say, he couldn't just call up Moses and say, hey, Moses, what should I do? Because this was his first time being the leader, essentially, of the nation, essentially, right? And he's put in a position where he, where probably any of us would probably have failed if we put under enough pressure. But yet, he compromised. And when we compromise, we, get put, we, put in a, we put other people in positions to fail as well. And so, just to recap, remember, for us to understand the components of how a leader doubts, number one, there's a lack of, there's a, I mean, there's a lack of restraint. Number two, there's golden calf pressure. Number three, there is a um, spiritual compromise. But the question becomes, when all that happens, what does it leave us with? What happens to the people who follow the leader who now has failed in maintaining his faith? Look at verse, look at verse 25. I'm sorry, verse 27. Keep in mind that Moses has confronted Aaron, and now Moses, and Moses is, is, is hot, right? In fact, let's go, in fact, I, I spoke too quickly, but let's go to verse 25. I'm sorry, no, 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 no. Yes, 20, sorry. Verse 20. So we see that when Moses comes down, right, he, he takes the golden calf and he made it, he burned in the fire and he ground in the powder and he scattered it on the water and he made the Israelites drink it. That's about the bitterness of sin. I think Moses wants them to know that, you know, what they've done is wrong and, they want, and he wants them to literally taste the bitterness of their sin. But then verse 27 tells us this. It says, he, he says, Moses has now confronted Aaron, sees that the people are out of control. And now he says, and he said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp and from one, one end to another, killing each of his brother and friend and his neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded and about 3,000 people lost their life. Now, this is a very sobering piece of this message because Aaron has led the people into idol worship. And God does not, I mean, and God does not want the people to follow false idols. And here's the reality. The reality is this. The people who were already pressuring Aaron 
would probably have overthrown, rebelled, and probably, I mean, to, to force other people to um, follow a false god. And so as a disobedience, because they failed to keep the law of God, because they failed to follow God, 3,000 people lost their life. You see, the reality of it is this. As we doubt, our doubt doesn't just affect us. Our doubt affects how we interact and how we lead other people. You heard my example in the beginning that when a, it's one thing when a position, when a, when a position player doubts in one moment. It's a whole other thing when an entire team gives up and, the, and when a team sees their leadership give up on them. And the, and the reality is this, is that Aaron, because of, his, because of his disobedience, because he chose to compromise, because he chose to fall to the pressure, because he had no restraint, it cost people their lives. We have to be careful about the doubt that we spread among others. We have to be careful about the doubt we have ourselves because that doubt can become a litmus for other people. And people who trust in us, people who, who want to know from us, people who trust us to lead them, it can become something that could cause them to fall. I wouldn't want anything that I have, or anything that's a stumbling block to me to cause anyone in here to stumble. But the reality is this, we all have something that we fail at and it could easily affect anybody else who is connected closer to us. I would like to think that as a leader, my shortcomings, my, my shortcomings fail me, but they also are not good for you as well. Which means this, I have to learn, I, I myself have to learn how to fight doubt. I have to learn how to stand firm. I have to learn how to have restraint and discipline. I have to learn how to overcome the pressure and live in the tension. And I also have to learn not to compromise because my strength and my leadership helps to result in your holiness as well. When you see examples, like we, when we see the example of Jesus, we see somebody who stood firm and did what was supposed to be done on behalf of God. And God tells us to do like Christ did. To be, in fact, we're working in, in our sanctification to become more Christ-like. But to do that, we have to lay down our own lives and take up the life and the agenda of someone else. The question becomes, when God comes back, whether we die and we get to meet him, or whether he comes back and returns, when God sees us, will he see our faith in action, or will he see us in a place of doubt? You can stand. All I know is this. When I get to the end, no matter what it looks like, I want, I want, I want people to know that I, tried, I did my best to follow God, and I tried to follow him fervently and with all my heart, and even in moments where I could have compromised, I didn't. I want to be, be a strong example of how, we should, of how, of how um, leaders should lead, but it requires us to hold and stand fast. All of you in here leaders, whether you're parents, whether you're teachers in this church, whether you're lay leaders, no matter what it is, many of you are leaders in some capacity, but understand that the leadership that you display affects, affects those who follow you. And I don't know about you, but if I, if I, if I could put myself in Aaron's shoes, I would probably be so heartbroken that because of my one decision to compromise, it cost people their life. But one thing we can be assured of is that although Aaron's one bad decision cost people the, the loss of life, the decision of one man to do what God has called, I mean, do, do what God said to do, 
gave us all life. You see, Jesus died so that we could have life. He died so that all the things that we have that are wrong with us, whether it's the guilt in our hearts, sin, all these different things could be paid for by, by his sacrifice on the cross. And God is calling us to be people who follow after him fervently, who don't compromise, and who stick to the truth. But to do that, you have to overcome the pressure. There may be some pressure on some of you guys right now where you feel like you want to change, but you don't know what you should do. You're worried about how other people are going to see you. Well, God is saying, listen, because of what I've done, because of the sacrifice that I've made, you don't have to worry about that pressure. You just worry about following me. And I trust that if you follow God, if you give your life to him, and if you've already given your life to him, that is by far the best thing we could possibly do. Dear Lord, God, I pray, God, that, um, God, as we, um, as we come into our time of invitation, Lord, that we would um, remember you, God, that we remember how important it is, God, that as we, you know, that doubt overcomes us all, but God, how we, how we overcome doubt is very important. God, we see, the, we see the example of Aaron and how, God, because of that decision, people failed. Lord, we want to, although, God, we, we don't want to fail you, although we will, Lord, we know, God, that you stand there in the gap waiting to intercede for us. God, please, God, with, the, God, with all the breath that we have and with everything that we have, God, I pray, God, that you would help us, God, to exercise restraint. God, that you would, even in the, in the worst pressure of life, God, that you would ease the tension for us, but more than anything, God, help us to work through the tension that's happening. And also, Lord, help us, God, not to compromise. God, you've given us a spirit inside of us God, that teaches us and leads us into all truth. Help us not to ignore that spirit. Help us to heed to it, to do what it says, Lord, so that we can have life and have it abundantly. God, if there be anyone in here, God, who has not given, them li- given their life to you, God, I pray, God, that they would come down their, this aisle and that they would make that profession to you, God, that they know that, God, all they've fallen short, God, they know that, they, they, they know that you are real, that your son died for them, and it's because of your, his sacrifice is that they can have life. That he becomes their Lord, that Jesus becomes our Lord, their Lord and Savior. And Lord, above all else, God, let us give glory to you because it's because of you that we have everything that we have and we are who we are. In Jesus, amen. Now is the time of invitation. Now is the time for you to do business.